This episode may include sensitive stories, topics, or themes that may be difficult to hear. Please take care of yourself and your well-being should something arise for you. the latest episode of Punk Therapy, Psychedelic Underground Neural Kindness. I'm Dr. T, working on my PhD. And I'm the Truth Fairy, coming to you from the underground. Together we hope to inspire integrity, courage, kindness, creativity and rigor in the fast-growing industry of psychedelic healing. I'd like to welcome everybody to the very first edition of Punk Therapy, uh, AKA Post Underground Neural Kindness. And I'm here with my, one of my favorite people, Curls, and that is his alias. And I am the, the truth fairy. You may have heard me in a podcast with James W. Gesso. I've uh, been there twice in Curls, and I did a podcast with James back in January in uh, 2021, I, I believe it was. Yeah. I can't remember Curls. That's right. Time flies, hey? I have, I have yeah. absolutely no idea when it was, but um, that was a bunch of fun to record. And hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for being here with us. I'm really stoked. Yeah. And I'm super excited for this podcast because I... I'm a therapist. I want to be a psychedelic therapist, but how do I actually do this? What, what's the process? What does it look like to create a magical healing, flourishing experience for a client? And um, I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to, and we're going to talk about that because there's so many ways to go at it these, these days and so many possibilities are opening up for people in the world at large. And we're an exploding, we are in an exploding time for psychedelics where trainings are being offered by the Synthesis Institute, many other institutes, um, certainly, uh, you know, very comprehensive programs with hefty price tags, and so they should be. And then for people that can't afford that hefty price tag, where do other people go to do training? And where are there people that already have a lot of training in the underground? where their uh, experience and life experience is very necessary, important. So I think what we'll be covering in this podcast is uh, training possibilities, case experiences, all used with permission by clients. And we have this wonderful relationship, you and I, the mentor and the mentee. And I would love for you to tell our, our listeners how we first met and why we're here today together. Totally. Well, it's interesting that you, you say that, like, um, because with all of these trainings that are coming up, like we've got one, um, I shouldn't say we, but there is a training which is based in Australia called uh, By Mind Medicine Australia. That's very similar to the, the one that you just mentioned. Very expensive, very comprehensive. Um, and people are wondering, you know, what's the value in, in these trainings? And something that I'm 
finding, which will bring me to how we met in my research, is that I'm speaking to therapists about how do we do psychedelic experiences. And what I'm finding is the people who are in the really clinical spaces, the people who are doing the, the formal trainings that are going to legalize and legitimize psychedelics tend to actually know a little bit less or quite a bit less than the people who are in the underground scene who've been doing this work for the past 20, 30 years. And it's those people that seem to carry all of the tacit knowledge, the like implicit knowledge of how do you be a psychedelic psychotherapist. Um, and all the people who are in the more legitimate space are so often so new to the field that they don't have that, that sort of 20, 30 years of, of tacit knowledge of having done it over and over again and knowing, knowing the kind of stuff about how to be a psychedelic therapist that you can't write down into a manual. And so that's kind of how we met because I was basically, yeah, I was, I got into psychedelics and then um, I had a really powerful experience. And then not long after that, I got into embodiment and that really helped me to integrate and kind of come to terms with some of my experiences. Then I started to get passionate about embodiment in a research way and psychedelics in a research way. Um, but I wasn't really sure where to go with it. And so I had a call with um, Rosalind Watts, researcher over in Imperial mm -hmm. College London, and kind of asked her, like, what, what do I do with this? And she echoed that same thing that we just spoke, that we just spoke about, that like when she started doing her trials with psilocybin at Imperial College, she found as a clean site that she had to all of a sudden upskill in all of these different ways of working in order to work with psychedelics. She had to learn about breath work and other things that she was totally unfamiliar with. And so she felt that um, there was like a gap in the literature as well as a gap in the like clinical understanding of psychedelics around what the therapist needed as a skill set in order to do this work. And she felt that the underground had that knowledge. So she basically said to me, mm. go and speak to the people who know this stuff and try to pull some of that rich knowledge out of the underground and put it into the literature and something like that. And that's when she put me in touch with the truth fairy. And, and, and so, that's what she tasked you with. That's yeah. what she tasked me with. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So wonderful. Since then, you and I have been having these rich conversations about exactly that. And um, yeah, and you're a part of my research project. And yeah. Yeah. And, and you've been talking to a lot of people. And, and just a little aside for our listeners is that uh, in uh, having these monthly conversations together for probably a, a year now, we've met every single month. We've we talked for about two hours and I've uh, received permission from clients to use their stories and their experiences and our combined shared experiences of different ways of working with medicine, different kinds of medicine, and uh, a process that I have been refining. And um, since then, I'm also going to be, I, I am in the midst of writing and uh, a book called Punk Therapy. And Curls here is my extraordinary assistant in this work. So I'm so excited to have such a great collaborator. Uh, it's uh, infinitely important, the relationships that we create in this field um, and relationship takes time. And that's one of the important things that I would really like to illustrate today through a story called the ponytail. Um, but that, you know, in this very fast growing industry, this exploding industry, I would really like to emphasize the importance of building relationship over time and slowly 
because, um, you know, to really learn a person, to learn them and understand the nuance of people takes time. So I'm so curious about, you know, retreats and how long it really takes to get to know people, how long it takes to uh, then work with them. And, you know, I'm worried about some some of these fast in and outs that happen. And so the story that I'm going to talk about today uh, is the result and the culmination of many, many years of knowing a client who then became a participant in the training that I offer, which I call Somatic Relational Trauma-Informed Practices for Psychedelic-Assisted Therapy. And it, it really hit home to me, and I was so eager to share it with you, Curls, that where we got to in that session was such a culmination of the relationship I have with the client slash participant, and also the two participants that were in the room being a lead and a co-lead in a practice session in the third module of the training. And so uh, if there's anything else you want to sort of uh, inject in there before we talk about this story, I'd love to hear it. If you get, I know that look on your face. I was, I was just thinking in the car on the way, on the way here, um, before we had started this, like how um, something that I notice working with clients, even when I don't actually use a psychedelic and they do, and I'm just the therapist that's doing the integrative work, that the level of intimacy when they do start taking and working with psychedelics between me and them, client to ther um, therapist, just amplifies massively. And I can imagine all the more so when you're actually in the session with them and doing that work. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I love that you're talking about that. I also wanted to clarify for people listening, just the nature of our relationship, you know, aside from kind of um, somebody who's a research participant in the project that, that I'm doing, um, the truth fairy is um, <laughs> my sort of supervisor and like mentor and I'm a mentee to her and I, I want to learn from the truth fairy how to do these kinds of psychedelic experiences and so yeah our relationship has a few different facets. Yeah it does and, and that's that's one of the things I really love mm. about it uh, curls because it takes a real skill to navigate uh, multidimensional and dual relationships. And I wouldn't even call it dual. I would call it multidimensional. And that's really what it's like to work with people. It's multidimensional. And I think we're moving out of this um, era of the expert and the patient to a more egalitarian relationship. I'm, I'm very, very inspired since working with Sharon Stanley and her influence, uh, she worked a lot with Indigenous communities, and that really, really shaped the way she works as people, where um, we, as therapists or facilitators, and I want to say guides, facilitators, how do we learn to access our direct knowledge and our direct lived experience to support our clients to access their direct knowledge and their direct lived experience. So really it's it's about helping to draw out the wisdom of the client so that it's not the experts all knowing and how we become more egalitarian in our approach versus through this earth-based knowledge, which is so important, which is indigenous, um, this connection with the earth and that all things are sacred and that there is, you know, breaking down this hierarchy. And then, um, bringing in the fact that there's knowledge and wisdom coming from so many sources. And then how do we 
look at this person in front of us who is in obvious deep suffering, profound suffering and profound and severe trauma in so many cases. Like the more I get to know people, the more I realize how complex the trauma is and how subtle it is and how well we hide it, how well I've hidden it. And so that brings me to the other piece that's going to be really important in our ongoing conversations is the the necessity for therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, doctors who don't even have trauma in their training so that whoever's going to be doing this, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, that our deep work is absolutely necessary alongside the work of our clients, not just learning techniques, not just learning uh, modalities, but that we are going to now have to, as healers, take deeper dives into our own personal work conscientiously, because I know how well uh, curls I have hidden my trauma. It's not so easy to hide anymore at 55, but you know, it's come to the forefront in a way that I can't deny that working so hard in my life kept things at bay and, and uh, certainly it's coming up in different ways. So I just want to emphasize that our podcast is also about the work for the therapist, because mm. as we get more intimate with our clients, the more intimate we get, the more that the more the possibility that reenactments are going to occur. And that is okay. Reenactments are not bad because it allows us in the moment to say, hey, there's been a dynamic shift. We're two human beings here. How do we explore this dynamic shift? And how do we as a therapist really hold our embodiment in that moment? Or even say, I need to call a pause for a moment while I <laughs> notice that I need help for a minute. And that humanizes the experience is that we're two humans. One might have a bit more skill and study in the area, but we're all people finding our way in the dark on some level, trying to get to the light. Yeah, totally. So that's just one, one thing I wanted I to add it. in there, Curls. I love it. That authenticity <laughs> is so, I mean, it feels like that's what people really want so often when they come to the therapists without knowing it that, that they want that authenticity to feel completely safe and, and with the other person and I love the way that you talk about and this is something that I think our audience will love as well is the like the way that your work is so much of an expression of your life and how your clients show up in your personal life and how your personal life shows up in your clients and how that's like an inevitable part of this work and you need to be doing the work on yourself in the background. You need to be intimately involved and, and actually working through your own stuff, processing your stuff, having a relationship with these medicines. If you're going to be able to show up, if you want to show up for your clients in, in that way as well. I mean, some of the things that you've done that I've heard you talk about in the past, you know, just to prepare yourself for a session with a client, like, you know, you, you sometimes will put yourself through the, you know, through some tough experiences just so that you can more fully embody the empathy for the other person and like see the world through their eyes just for a moment mm -hmm. um, before you sit with them I think that's so powerful and I'm really excited to hear some of those stories retold in, in this little podcast we're doing and you know curls it's it really is what it's about um, and I'm gonna you know definitely quote where necessary, it's from, it's Sharon Stanley has put it so beautifully. And, and what I love about Sharon, and she's not even in the psychedelic world, but she really uh, sees its place. Um, but it's, it's through her work that I learned the phrase is how we make a home in our consciousness for the consciousness of another. And like, so in my consciousness, I'm making a home for you. And that is 
the profound work of empathy. And that is the profound work of embodied empathy. And that goes so much deeper than, you know, you're going to tell me your story and we're going to have this experience. But in the moment of no matter what you're saying, in the moment of no matter what your body's doing, how can I feel into what's happening in your body, in your nervous system, in your experience of the world, even for just a few seconds, and then let that flush down to the earth? Because that's for someone else to have a moment that you've, a sense that you've gotten their experience is gold. Because, you know, in trauma, we are profoundly alone in those moments of trauma. We are profoundly alone. And in psychedelic uh, therapy, many people have found themselves absolutely terrified, absolutely alone, reenacting the same terror of being in a black hole without anyone to support them, the same repeated neglect, the same repeated sense of alone in this universe. So, you know, I, I really, really hope, and it's my wish and prayer for the psychedelic community that we don't go so fast in thinking that the medicines are, are what are, are what do is what's doing everything, but that there's a relationship with the earth, with community, with each other that needs cultivation over time. And that we can't just rush in and think we're going to heal decades of depression and anxiety through one psilocybin treatment. Of course, that's not what these studies are doing, just to be really fair. Obviously, they're doing big preparation and follow-up. And, you know, that in human connection, there will be experiences where a patient, and I don't like to use the word patient, but client, will fall in love with a therapist. And how do we treat that? in a human context that how do we acknowledge the longing under that and not get weird about it, but say, Hey, let me hold that longing with you. You know, it's not going to, you know, if this isn't going to happen here together and let's just be in that longing together because these are reenactments and they're precious reenactments and how we navigate those reenactments are going to be so important. And other reenactments as well, where, you know, the client's going to get really pissed with you at some point. That's going to happen again. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So. Can we can we sit with it? Can we be it and uh, be with it and allow them to process that reenactment through us without rejecting it? I think mm-hmm. that's a really cool topic. And I love what you said about creating a home for the other and yourself. And I really feel that's like resonant with the way that you work you know when we've done a session I was instantly reminded of a session that we did once where and this was without any psychedelic this was just a a, a normal um session and even through zoom I was astounded by how present you were with me and I just I remember there was a particular point where we touched on something that was uh like oh that hurts in me and you could sense that instantly. And the first thing you did was, I can't remember how you said it, but something along the lines of really politely, is it okay if I join you there or if I come and be with you in that place? And that's all you said. And that was the, as soon as you said it, it just completely kind of dissolved me into this like really beautiful, like, oh, like I'm understood. And it felt really mm-hmm. healing, mm-hmm. powerful, even though it was mm-hmm. so subtle. So I really, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. And I love that what you're talking that, about sounds like what we're doing with psychedelics is is we're not, uh, the psychedelic is not doing that work. The psychedelic is just opening up the opportunity for mm-hmm. for that deeper relational work that then allows for the, the healing mm-hmm. to take place. 
Absolutely. And I think that, you know, for now, it's really important just to keep into context that we're mainly possibly talking about things like MDMA, 3MMC, you know, uh, psilocybin, because, you know, uh, iboga and ayahuasca is a, a different, uh, I want to say different beast um, in all respect to the mother, to the mother ayahuasca and iboga, the beast, because it can be quite the quite the beastly experience. And I know that's different for everybody. That's my subjective experience. But maybe for these conversations, and I, I'm wondering if it'd be a good time to tell you a little bit about this uh, experience I had last week, mm. Curls, ponytail. Uh, that I'm now calling the ponytail. And I will be writing about it in my book, Punk Therapy. Um, so for, for again, for context, it was the third module of the Somatic Relational Trauma-Informed Practices for Psychedelic Therapy. Um, and, uh, my assistant and I were, uh, gently monitoring the rooms, uh, there was a lead and an assistant and a client and the role participants in this training. And, uh, I would slowly sort of, we'd slowly enter and sort of stand and sit in the corner. And as I walked in on one of the sessions, uh, the participant was a longtime client of mine. And she has a history of what we uh, categorize as eating disorders, uh, which really is severe trauma, severe complex trauma, early, early relational trauma, shock trauma, often prenate trauma, shock trauma. And uh, one, of, one of the leads, so, so the lead, there was one lead, and I know her very well because she's also an assistant of mine, a helper in my groups. She's got really great hands and she really offers excellent massages. And it seems that they got to a place in the work where they, you know, they might've been a little stuck or there wasn't a lot happening. And um, she might've attuned that a little bit of touch may have been supportive. And I always want to be very careful about when we use touch, touch shouldn't be used because we don't know what to do or where to go next. So that's something I'll follow up with later, but touch is very important because really it needs to be offered as a containment or a, a support that's needed in the moment. Um, so I didn't ask, but the lead was offering sort of a sitting massage right at the neck and the shoulders. And I noticed that the, the receiver, the client was holding her ponytail with her right hand and sort of had her head bowed. And I noticed, you know, just the energy that it took with her right shoulder and her right arm to hold her ponytail back. And at the same time that she's re receiving a massage. Now I know that when I'm, uh, I'm having a massage, I want to be lying face down, you know, under, under a sheet, my arms draping over the table. And so I, I just momentarily, I, I just said, Hey, I notice you're holding your ponytail. And she says, Oh yeah. And I, and I said, I, I noticed that you, you look a little, little tired as you hold it. She goes, Oh yeah, yeah. I do feel tired holding this ponytail. And I said, you know, I'm wondering if you, you know, if you have to give to get, like how, how much work it takes for you to get something. It was a big, heavy sigh. And this is on, this is with MDMA. And then she, she stopped holding her ponytail, rearranged her hair, put it on top of her head, kind of had sort of a, a droopy face for a moment, kind of like, sort of like she'd given up and sort of resumed receiving this massage sitting. And uh, I sort of gently positioned myself sort of close to her in front of her. And I said, is this okay if I'm here? She said, yes, absolutely. Glad you're here. 
And I said to her, you know, exactly what I just said to you, you know, when I historically receive a massage and I'm tired, I'd love to be laying down to receive it. And I noticed that, you know, you're sort of like, while you're holding yourself up, you're also looking really tired. Are you, are you sensing that? She goes, oh, I'm exhausted. And I said, yeah. And I wondered, how would it be for you right now if you were to lay down to receive this wonderful massage? There was a pause. She said, that feels really vulnerable. And I said, yeah, doesn't it? And I said, so you're noticing that coming up, aren't you? That vulnerability. And I immediately felt it in my belly as soon as she said it. Even just saying it right now, I could feel that. Knowing her history, I didn't bring anything up, but immediately I clocked. I've known her for a long time. I know there's a history of uh, a violation, a sexual violation, a sexual assault. I was also aware of a story from her childhood that I'll convey in a moment. Uh, very, very early on, a, a violent experience with her father very early on. And I just saw this sort of heaviness, this dorsal vagal, this total droop in the face, that dorsal vagal state of, you know, shutting down on the face, the skin kind of drooping in her face. And I said, you know, I'm not going to ask you to lie down. I'm not going to suggest that you do. But I want you to just be in touch with how heavy this feels right now and how tired you must be receiving help right now and how vulnerable it must be to at the thought of laying down to get this. And she goes, and then she started to get nauseous. And immediately the nausea rose. And she said, this is so gross. She immediately went into, oh my God, this is so gross. And I could just feel it rising in her. And, and, and I said, I'm right here with you. And I could sense the, the, that we had activated and very gently, because this is the really important piece here. And, and Sharon Stanley talks about it, is that we have to activate just something a little bit, especially when we're in these dorsal vagal states, these hypoaroused dissociative states. There is so much in there. And we have to be so careful as things come up. And she just said, this is really gross. And in that grossness, I could see that there was that moment where she could start to identify it and become the grossness rather than be the observer of the grossness because she has before become the grossness and she has suffered deeply as have I with feeling that our, our very bodies are the most disgusting body on the planet. So I knew right away that we were on the brink of something. It was either she was gonna go into, I'm the most gross, gross body and soul that I've ever, that's ever existed or I'm gonna be able to be expand my observer witness. And bless her heart, her little fingers reached out, little fingers, and she got these very narrow fingers, these beautiful fingers reached out. And uh, this male was to the right of me who was the uh, assistant. And I know him very, very well. He's worked as a helper a lot. And he just saddled right up beside me there. Her fingers reached out towards us. And there it was, this possibility for some help and support in this black hole of grossness and I knew in my mind and I didn't bring anything up because we'd have a lived shared experience together of working together for a long time but I waited until her story came to the forefront and and she just kept saying this is gross this is so gross there's so much of it and I kept slowing her down to take pauses because she'd close her eyes go inward and she could feel her tongue was just opening she said this is so gross there's so much of it they feel they look sick even talking about it right now. I can feel it with her. 
even in post-session. Mm, I feel a bit nervous. But as, as yeah, it. you can feel it, can't you? I know. And and I and this is empathy, right? And then I sort of sat and I really grounded my, you know, had my the, this who was my assistant, who was the assistant in the session, sort of like press into my shoulder and we really grounded together and the massage stopped, but she, you know, the lead held space in the back and she knew to go into an assistant position. So this is like a community of us all knowing we're going to switch roles here. I'm going to be here for a little while. I'm taking over on this one. My, you know, assistants are taking their positions and we're going in. And she, in that moment, bless her heart, she did not identify with it, but she started working with it as a neural state and the trauma that had gone inside of her, into her cells, into her nervous system, locked into her body. And she several times said, this is really gross. I said, we're going to keep it slow. We're going to keep going slow, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, holding her, her hands, her tails were digging into my hands. And I just said, I'm just going to take this for, take this for the team here. I'm not going to tell her to unclench for just this moment. There's a lot going on. We kept slowing, gross, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And then she said, when I was two, my father took my head and slammed my head into my food. And I came out with two black eyes. And she goes, no wonder I have an eating disorder. And I said, I know the story. I remember it. I've been, I was right here with you. I've been holding that story with you. And here was that, this overlap between a sexual violation, which she didn't actually say, which was implied in that it's too vulnerable to lie down is my sense. I don't know for sure. We didn't talk about that part. But then here was the child who found her her little face in a plate food of food slammed by, by her father. And her body took an hour curls to work up the, the grossness that the impact, the physical impact, the emotional impact, the spiritual impact, the nervous system impact of this food in her face, that suffocation and her body trying to get it up and her, you could just see she was working. And I said, slow down. We're not going to try to get this all up at once. We're going to slow this down. This is too much all at once. And we're going to hold this with you. And of course I was burping. My assistant started burping. We were all, we were all those moments of burping where that's the empathy, that embodied empathy to help someone. You can't do this alone. It's too much. Imagine a two-year-old and the shock state of that as well. And so she would sort of oscillate between burning in her chest, burning heat and freezing cold. So that's that oscillation between hyperarousal and hypoarousal, freezing cold, burning in the chest, the grossness coming up. And I could see in her eyes in that moment, knowing her quite well, that she wasn't letting it flood her, but she was working at a place where she could actually work with it. And then we added in another dimension, which was that when she closed her eyes, she would go into a black hole and within seconds forget that we were there with her, which is the trauma. And then I'd say to her, when you can, can you open your eyes for seconds at a time to see us here with you and feel our hands? And she'd open, she goes, you're right, I'm not alone. And then she'd go back in, gross, gross, eyes would close. And then she'd go into black hole. And I said, right there, right before you go down, can you open your eyes? And we did this for an hour back and forth, wow. back and forth until we kind of, we had to hold this space for an hour knowing that it was going to be in this kind of repeated oscillation until finally, and I knew I was going to be in it for the long haul on this one. And she finally was able to kind of like, just kind of sit back and 
find some relief that we had gotten very deep into this this toxicity that had been living inside her from this event. And she finally, you could see her in her eyes tracking back and forth, looking at us. She goes, I am actually here with you. I am actually here with all of you. And you're actually meeting me here in this. I am not alone. It was the first time in her life, I think, where her body really got that she wasn't doing this alone and that we were there and we wanted to be. And first time she ever got that someone wanted to be. And then by the end of it, she sort of lay back. And her lay back wasn't a, a full lying back all the way, but it was kind of resting against some cushions. Her body sort of leaning back a little bit full, a little, a little bit more surrendering to this support in the back as we just stayed with her. And she rested. There was a resting place and there was a place where, you know, there was a freeze, a lot of freeze coming out of the body. And then she warmed up and then the fire, that that internal heat, because that's what that dissociation, that freeze is, is there's a lot of heat in the freeze, right? Yeah. And then she she started to feel warm after about an hour, like ventral vagal. So that curls is the ponytail and and I swear to God as long as I live I will never forget this experience it was so deeply meaningful just the years it took for us to get there the patience that required her diligent work so much other work that she had done with me with other therapists with poetry with her own life experience and to accumulate into this moment took so many years to get there and mm. such a, a precise precision and you know the work that I had just studied with Sharon Stanley would have I wouldn't have made it possible without me doing that somatic training to bring mm -hmm. into this medicine session and then knowing the people in the room with me and their beautiful cueing to step aside and let me take over on this. So I, I you know, I said to her, you know, like, thank you for, for this beautiful, ex extraordinary experience and her as well to trust herself. And it was just one little thing to add in is that the day before I had shown my participants a session that Sharon had done with me. Mm. She was feverishly taking notes on Sharon's facilitation and watching me in it. And she says, I took a cue from you. And I said, you did. She goes, I was watching the way you were processing when Sharon was helping you. And she goes, I decided to just go for it. I'm like, awesome. And it was just this, this collective yeah. chain reaction, you know? Wow. That's such that was a long epic, story, but here, but yeah. Epic mm -hmm. story. And I... As I listened to that, and as soon as you described this woman with the ponytail and the way she was holding the ponytail, uh, tail, somebody immediately was conjured in my mind who I know who is a lot like what you've described and I can imagine has had similar experiences. And I, again, imagine that many of our audience know somebody who has been through something like that. You know, it's an all too common experience with eating disorders. Um, and it seems that there is this like connection to a kind of grossness or like a disgust in the body. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that I'm, I'm learning myself at the moment, just through the people I know who have experiences with eating disorders. I used to think once upon a time that it was all about food and all about um, being skinny and all of that sort of stuff but it's it's so so much more than that that's this, this deep complex trauma that's there and mm -hmm. the what i just listening to your story something that i really really love about hearing it and and i love often when i hear your stories about the way you work is just how deeply you are not 
outcome focused. You're not trying to get them somewhere. There isn't that sort of like um, fixing or anything like that. It's just like absolute patience with just going where, where they're ready to go and staying within that like window of tolerance, really being super mm-hmm. careful to just meet it just gently, just the right amount so that they can be with their experiences and so that you can be with them being with their experiences. Um, and just how gentle and mm-hmm. slow that is. And I, I really love that. It's, it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing. Well, you know, we, yeah, you're so welcome. And, and thanks for listening. And I, you know, I, I, you know, I asked her permission to share this story because it really is, it was a pinnacle in her healing and that, so this is, this takes me to another thought here, Curls, is that she had that experience. She now knows how to do that experience. Whatever yeah. you experience in a healing session, you know how to do. There's a part of you that now knows how to do this. I remember have this wonderful cranial sacral therapist who's become a friend and we trade now for 15 years. And, you know, I studied cranial sacral, but not the way I'm not a master the way she is. But she says, what have you done? You can do with a client now because you've experienced it. And I really see this this model. This I, I had this awareness the other day is that what my purpose is, I think my purpose is to help people that do have trauma that are gifted and are very committed to their um, their own personal work and would like to work in the field to help build communities where they are healing while they're also treating people and that they're treating each other so that there's like this group treating this group community uh, headed up by someone with experience like myself just because I've been in it in a long time like sort of supervised in a way that they can do it with each other because there's not enough of us as a therapist and there's t- tons and tons of people with with complex trauma out there especially this collective trauma post covid so you know it's like how and this is what i'm really excited about in my training is as that i'm you know i'm i'm working with people with life experience and a deep care uh, about their own trauma and others trauma and that i do believe we don't have to be you know, psychiatrists and psychologists and, and doctors to be doing this work. In fact, we can be working together. We can be collaborating. And there's so much that they know and so much that we know through her experience and that that humility, that we need that humility, that crossover, that therapists too are traumatized, but they sometimes don't understand that until later, right? I mean, I've always known I have, but the extent of it, curls really came up this year. And oh boy, I've been on the close to the deep end a couple of times. And yeah, I remember Gabor saying, you know, Gabor Manting, um, my my dear friend is that you know you can't be treating someone while you're in your trauma well that's certainly certainly <laughs> clear <laughs> uh, and why yeah. else why else would you become a therapist let's be honest unless you were inspired by your own suffering to alleviate the suffering of others you know i think yeah. almost yeah. hands down 100% of therapists have been through something or they've witnessed it in someone else that has, has drawn them to, to work in that field. Um, and all the more yeah. so Who is it to... social workers, I have to say. Uh-huh. Oh, is it? Is yeah, it... I think so. <laughs> I don't. Okay. Yeah. Who is, I think Diane Poole Heller in her book, um, the power of attachment said that, uh, whether it's her experience or not, I mean, everyone's got their own viewpoint, but she says that most therapists are likely disorganized attachment. 
And I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> not just, <laughs> not just insecure, it, not right. just avoidant, but like <laughs> but disorganized, disorganized confused. But but if you look at it, you know, I mean, Sharon didn't even cover uh, ambivalent or avoidant. She did talk about avoidant, but she really talked more about disorganized states rather than disorganized attachment. She talked about disorganized states, and disorganized states really are the disorganized states of being fragmented, not having too much too too little or fused because there's too much information and you can't you're trying to tease it apart and tangle it apart so um yeah 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 that, really that, that's a, that's a lot we've talked about already hey yeah, um, yeah is there something you wanted to ask me uh curls we've probably got about i would say about six minutes left on this first podcast six anything you want to well, I, you know, I, I love what we've talked about and I hope that people are getting the vibe of what we're trying to do here you know, and talking to the artistry of psychedelics and maybe something we could talk about for the last few minutes is some of the things that we're excited to bring um, to everyone in future chats that we're going to have, you know, about the artistry of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. What are we hoping to share with everyone um, and what might we do, what might we talk about in order to share that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we're definitely going to give you a lot of rich examples, uh, a lot of rich lived experience. Um, certainly, um, I have a lot to share in terms of moments that were inspired and creative and collaborative between me and a client and me and a helper. Uh, lots there that's going to be in my book, find its way into my book at some point. So, um, and I guess within that, there's a learning um, so that if you ever come across a moment like this, what are possible ways to be attentive to the moment? Not that we have answers because I can never be in your lived experience. You can never be in mine, but there are, I I don't want to say techniques. I don't want to say tool, but practices. There are ways to practice and ways to practice with ourselves and with clients and with each other that the more we practice, the more they evolve and we can be inspired and creative in the moment. And I think that's what I'd like to inspire people to do um, is, is to get creative, is to get inspired, to get intuitive and to really keep up an embodiment practice in this very fast growing industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's something you said. That's what I hope to. Before we started today was that, we are really keen to to inspire an embodied way of working for people. And I was yeah. I was telling um, the Truth Fairy about um, a recent publication in 2017 in the literature about the like core competencies of a of a psychedelic therapist. And in it, they write about like empathy and trust and spiritual intelligence, knowing about you know the the physical and psychological effects of psychedelics the therapist being self-aware and ethical. And then they have this like sixth competency, which is about proficiency and complementary techniques, where they basically allude to a somatic relational skill set. They talk about holotropic breathwork. They talk about somatic experiencing and sensory motor um, psychotherapy. And I reckon Mm -hmm. let's just call a spade a spade and not call this a proficiency in complementary techniques. These aren't really... They're, they're complementary compared to mainstream, but when it comes to psychedelic work, they're not complementary. They're core. They're foundational. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I reckon somatic relational skill set should be at the at the core of what we do, and that's what we want to inspire in people. Is how do you how do you work in that way? Um, how do you bring that to your sessions? And on top of that, how do you bring the magic? How do you bring the 
the yeah. kind of yeah creative intuitive how do you create spaces where maybe you use poetry maybe you use music and you absolutely yeah, music and poetry the, the it's called the third element the third thing and it's really really important in the relational setting is to have that third that place of commonality is especially as you're building relationship with someone you can't go right in and build relationship there's that that third thing that allows us a meeting point that isn't right down into the intimacy of the relationship yet. So painting, music, literature, theater, a good movie you saw or, or, or an article that you've read, something, it's, it's all so necessary. And you're right, it's gotta be the foundations. It's a, the foundation, and this is what indigenous, uh, you know, indigenous peoples around the earth, they have been very, uh, embodied they look out for the tribe they get the cues they're taking care of each other they're they're feeling with the earth and the gravity of the earth and the gravitational pull of the earth and they're looking for they're, they're sensing signs and i'm reading about about this right now and certainly it's through sharon's work that i got very inspired so it, it's absolutely necessary if we are to take care of each other and take care of the earth it's got to be in the equation totally totally yeah, um, cool. Yeah, I, I just have this image in my mind of a story that you told me once about how all I remember is the, the pivotal moment and somehow you had orchestrated this experience for people, these two guys, one was older and one was younger and they had mutually reciprocal mm -hmm. experiences and the, the final moment, the sort of pivotal moment was they're both sitting on a simple chair facing each other looking into each other's eyes, not saying words. Meanwhile, you hit the play button to Cat Stevens' song, Father and Son, and these two just sit there, not saying a word, both just sobbing and, and feeling each other and knowing, you know, without needing to say anything, deep knowing and a deep healing. And that really, I've told lots of people about that kind of, um, that moment that you were able to orchestrate for, for these two. And, and I guess that's something I'm hoping that we can get out of this is, not just hearing mm -hmm. those stories of, of really magical moments, but also like breaking it down and how do we get there? How do we create those experiences mm -hmm. for people? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a great question to end on. I think, Curls, how do we create those experiences for people uh, in the thick of it? And how do we create uh, that impeccable uh, silence and precision as well? So I don't know what we'll be talking about in the next episode because Curls and I are very spontaneous and we kind of go with whatever's up for us in the moment. So that's what it's going to be like. Um, we'll probably, we, we get together and then, hey, what's up? What's up for us right now? Though we likely may plan or we may not plan, but uh, it's really been a pleasure to uh, be with you, Curls. And I'm excited to hear any questions or comments that anyone has. Please engage with us. We are going to be creating a page. We're going to get professional about this. Not just, it's grassroots, but we're going to get a little bit slicker about this and invite your comments and your questions and your experiences. All right. Thanks, Miss Truth Berry. Punk Therapy, out. That concludes this episode. We hope you found it meaningful and integrative. Remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify and kindly share the link with your friends and colleagues. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at info at punktherapy.com. And remember, 
to punk your inner wisdom. <laughs>